can go ahead and open your Bibles while I'm getting set up here to the book of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Be sure to take and spend time with Rick and Amy this morning and I am truly excited. I'm jazzed. All those words. Uh, you know what? Uh, is, they love the Lord and they serve Him and just to see God move them on to this next step of service is exciting. But you know, God has a next step for each and every one of us. And sometimes we go, whoa, that's a little bit too much. <laughs> Lord, I don't know if I can handle that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Don't be afraid to serve God. Don't be afraid to step out. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We have been studying the last four times. This, this is the fourth time in this topic of uh, walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. And in uh, chapter 5, we're given a list of what it is, to the, what the fruit of the Spirit is. And it also gives you a list of what the fruit of the flesh is. And so that you can know, am I walking in the Spirit or not? And then last time we met, we talked about, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault. You see, there are, there are some sins, some things. In verse, verse 2, it says, bear ye one another's burdens, so you fulfill the law of Christ. So you realize that that burden it's talking about is too heavy for one person to hold up. And he needs his brothers and sisters in Christ to come together to help him, to encourage him, to get a shoulder underneath that load and lift it up. And then you drop on down to verse 5 and you say, well, there's a contradiction. It says, for every man shall bear his own burden. That's talking about your just regular daily burdens. It's talking about if you were in the service and you had that backpack on there, you carry that burden. But at any rate, let's continue on. I want to be in verse 7 and following uh, 7 through 10. Sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he, he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore a opportunity. Let us do good unto all men. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I'm going to pray now. As I pray, I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask that you would put everything out of your mind, all the activities you got scheduled for this week, and let's give God some time. Not me. God and His Word and the Holy Spirit. And ask Him to do a work in your heart and life. For He wants so to do so badly. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to grow in the relationship with you. He's always there. We're the ones holding back. Let's pray. God, I ask that you'd have your will and way this morning. Thank you for these that have gotten up this morning and on purpose came to your house. God, I pray that the music, the singing, the worshiping, fellowshipping with one another 
has been pleasing not only to their heart but to your heart. God, I ask that you would receive our worship this morning of you. Father, you are so holy. You're so perfect. There's none like you. None like you. And that's why we worship you. God, I pray that we will leave here closer to you this morning. We'll leave here with a desire and a deeper love for you, wanting to serve you with all of our heart and mind, looking for every opportunity, understanding and knowing that you have, you have established some divine appointments and you want us to be a part of those, to firsthand witness your power through the miracle of the new birth. God, I pray that you'd have your will and way. Help me this morning, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're governed by fixed physical laws. If I said, where's my engineers back there? If I said that every particle attracts every other particle in the universe with a force that is directly proportional to the product of their masses and inversely proportional to the square of the distance between their centers, Anybody have an idea what I'm talking about? It's the law of gravity. It's the law of gravity. We know that if uh, you see these pictures of a guy out there uh, cutting on a limb and he's on the wrong side, well, guess what? When he cuts that limb off, he's going down. Not just that limb, but he's going down too. Why? Because of the law of gravity. And that's what we have in our world, uh, our, in our universe. We're governed by fixed physical laws. Our ability to make scientific advances are based upon these fixed physical laws that have been established as firm truths. We have said, we know this to be true, this is what's going to happen. Uh, you've got the sun and you've got the planets going like this, orbiting around the sun, okay, and they're turning at a certain amount of speed and it takes so many days to go around the sun, and all these things. How else would we be able to send men into space? if they were not fixed. Think about it, you got the moon traveling at about 2,300 miles an hour, and you shoot up a spaceship going about 25,000 miles an hour, and now you gotta figure out, how am I gonna catch up and slow down and, get, and land on that moon? I mean, you use it because of the scientific advances we have, but it was based upon these fixed physical laws. Nothing is random, nothing is random. Uh, these fixed Physical laws are unalterable. They are absolute. We know that. We see that. We live by that. Every part of our lives depend on things staying exactly the same. Things aren't randomly happening that violates these physical laws. The universe is built on absolute, absolute laws. And that's why we can speak of creation as under the reign of law. And just as there are physical laws, and those laws are absolute and unchangeable, and they are consistent, and they do not vary, just the same, there are moral laws that are fixed. Moral laws that are fixed. That's what we have in our text this morning. Here's a moral law, it says, and here's one of God's absolute fixed principles, and it's stated at the end of verse 7, where it says, For whatsoever a man soweth, 
that shall he also reap. Hey, that's fixed. That's absolute. You've heard the statement, you can take that to the bank. You can take it to the bank. It's the truth. That's true agriculturally. That's true in farming. That's true in gardening. Alice and I have planted a garden. And uh, we've got some things coming up with several different types of tomatoes. And those tomatoes are starting to grow. We just got to train my dog not to eat the tomatoes. <laughs> uh, we've got some beans, bush beans. We've got some pole beans. Uh, probably some of God's uh, uh, main fruit, okra. We've got some okra growing. Love okra. And so, you know, but you plant a seed and you get the life that's contained in that seed. That's the way it works. It never, ever changes. It never changes. That's true physically. Whatever you sow is reaped. The divine law stated in verse 7, Be not deceived. Don't be deceived. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. No one can deny that. Not even a skeptic. Paul has been saying to the Galatian believers and to all of us, now that you're in Christ, now that you're in Christ, and the Holy Spirit is in you, and you're led by the Holy Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, then you're going to realize the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Understand that? If you walk in the Spirit, that's what you're going to reap. Galatians 5.22 if you look right back across the page, and I hope you brought a pencil or a pen or be ready to put notes in your phone of verses, because I'll have several verses today. But Galatians 5.22 talks about love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. If you walk in the Spirit, that's what you will experience. That's what you will experience. Well, I just don't have joy in my life. I don't have peace in my life. Are you walking in the Spirit? Sometimes we act like it's a mystery how to have these things in our life. The Bible tells us right here how to do this stuff. How to have this happiness and peace. Well, you don't know. You don't understand my children, my grandchildren, or my boss. Or It has nothing to do with me having joy or peace. Nothing at all. On the other hand, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, we have the antithesis of walking in the Spirit, and that's walking in the flesh. And if you plant deeds of the flesh, guess what you're going to harvest? Guess what you're going to have? Look at it in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. That's where you're just deeply engrossed in sexual perversion, sin, and it just consumes you. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations or jealousies, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders. You say, I've not killed anybody. Well, we kill everybody. We kill a lot of people with our tongue. We kill a lot of people with our tongue. Drunkenness, revelings, and the such like. Those are, those are deeds of the flesh. And if you sow to the flesh, if you walk in the flesh, that's what you're going to have in your life. That's what's going to consume you. But folks, God gives you a great recipe for how to have happiness and peace in your life. And he starts off with the word love. Very interesting. 
Paul is talking to us about how to live the Christian life. In the first two chapters of the book of Galatians, Paul had to deal with people that were contesting his apostleship. Now, folks, we don't have apostles today. We don't have apostles today. But they did back in those days. And Paul is saying, I am an apostle of God, of Jesus Christ. In chapters 3 and 4, he defended the gospel of salvation by grace alone. It's through faith alone. And it's apart from works. And I'll tell you this right now, praise God, because my works are not good enough. I could not have done anything to get salvation. And in these final two, t two chapters, he's talking to us about how to live the Christian life. How to live the Christian life. And here's one of the essential principles of living the Christian life. You have two options. You either can walk in the Spirit and realize the fruit of the Spirit. That's what I've been planting. I'm walking in the Spirit and I'm planting these things and now I'm getting to harvest these things. You can realize that or you can walk in the flesh and realize the fruit of the flesh. I don't know anyone in their right mind that would look at these two lists and go, ah, oh, i got to have that flesh. That doesn't make sense. No one in their right mind. And yet, and yet, we have difficulty. It's no wonder he started off in verse 7, be not deceived. We'll get into that. Be not deceived. <clears throat> Paul wants to warn us that whatever you plant, that's exactly what you're going to harvest. Be not deceived. That's very important. That's very important. I would have to say that most people, including Christians, I'm in this list, are somewhat deceived. We truly are. To one degree or another, we truly are, about the consequences of their sinful behaviors. Now, don't be sitting there today and say, I'm not deceived, because you're unscriptural if you say that. What do you prove? We tend to believe that because we're under grace and not law. I can't be deceived. Because we've been forgiven, and that's for forever. Amen to that. To know that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. And I realize my need of a Savior. I realize my sin. I ask and confess my sin before God. He forgave my sin. And He saved me forever. Praise God for that. We cannot lose our salvation. And God's so gracious. He continues to forgive us our sins. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God for First John. I did not contribute to my salvation. I cannot sustain my salvation. So the Paul, the apostle said, brethren, be not deceived. Be not deceived. He's already been talking in the book of Galatians. Galatians 3, 1, he said what? He said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? O foolish Galatians. He, they begin to being taught uh, these things about that you must add circumcision to the salvation in order to truly be saved. He said, who has bewitched you? And then in Galatians 3.3 3, he says, are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? These things can be said to me probably uh, minute by minute. Minute by minute. So he's already uh, addressed their deceptive 
influence, their foolishness. Deceive is an interesting word. It comes from the word, it's derived from the word planet, the whole thing, which means to wander around, to be led astray. Let's go this way. You know, when you're as a parent, you grab your child's hand and you start going to point B, they have no option but to follow. They're being led astray. You're directing them. I guess the question is, what's directing us? To be led astray, and it's a term that is used to describe the planets that we're moving. And like I said, it means to wander, wander, to be led astray. That's what deception is. First Corinthians chapter three. Make it, mark it down. First Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen. Because you need to reference these scriptures. You need to make sure that what I'm saying is true. But folks, it's okay to go home and to dig up, back up and chew on it some more and say, let me, let me get a hold of this. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, Let no man deceive himself. Deceive himself. Oh, my. Oh, my. So not only can we be led astray and deceived by somebody else, we can deceive ourselves. We can deceive ourselves. That's why he said, be not deceived. Be not deceived. You don't really need somebody else to be deceived because we have a deceptive component in us. Uh, it's part of this makeup of the old man. It's already in us. I'm reminded of Jeremiah 17:9, where it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Deceitful above all things. I'm talking to you individually and corporately as a body here this morning. But individually understand and know your heart's deceitful. Amen. It will lie to you. It will fool you. It will deceive you. So you've got built within your flesh a force of deceit. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 3. Mark it down. Put it in your notes. It says the pride of thine heart hath deceive thee. The pride of thine heart, the pride of my heart has deceived me. Your heart's arrogant. Oh my. I think years ago I came to the realization that, you know, as you kind of search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. You pray that to God and ask Him to reveal yourself to you. I used to think, eh, I don't have a problem with pride. Brother Rick, I found out I had a problem with pride. God revealed to me, I have a problem with the pride. And that's what the old prophet said. He had said, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Your heart is arrogant. Your heart is self-protective. Your heart is self-promoting. It's self-fulfilling. It's self-defending. Pride, selfishness, is the primary sin. So you have a selfish heart that will want to run your life and it's selfish way. It's what it wants to do. It'll take, it'll make you feel best about your situation, make you feel best about your behavior. But folks, your heart's going to deceive you. And as long as you're in this world, guess what? My father-in-law is 95. Guess what? He's got a deceptive heart. You'll have that deceptive heart. As long as you're in that world. We need to 
establish this in our heart and mind this morning and know the truth of God's word so that we can be on guard against it. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, But be ye doers, did you write that down? James 1 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Then it says deceiving your own selves. What's he talking about? You can deceive yourself coming and hearing the word and then doing nothing about it and think that just because you know the truth, that's enough. You didn't do anything. You weren't a doer. That's self-deception. A few verses later in verse 26, James 1.26, it says this, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridle not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Is vain. Self-deceit is a problem for everybody. One person just doesn't have the corner market on it. We don't look over there and say, oh, that old George, he's just, he's just, he's deceived. No, we're all deceived. We're all deceived. It's a problem for all of us. And it tends to be that the deception kind of runs like this. You're saved. You're on the way to heaven. Uh, that can't happen. You're under grace. The Lord will never let you go, so there's nothing that uh, there can be really too serious consequences if I walk in the flesh. There won't be serious consequences if I walk in the flesh. And it kind of turns into a license to sin, and there you have that self-deception. You think that nothing will affect you. And you can add to the fact of this deception that there's a deceiver in the world. My goodness, we're getting hit at from inside and from outside. Revelation 12, 9. Write it down, make a note. Revelation 12, 9. It says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. See, nobody's left out. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 3, it says that Satan is the deceiver who deceives the whole world, who deceives the nations. So you not only have an internal deceiver, but you have an external deceiver. Paul said, be not deceived. Warning. Always reminds me, the old robot on Lost in Space. Warning. Warning, Will Robinson. Warning. Warning. Why? There is danger coming. Paul's saying, warning, be not deceived. Be not deceived. First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Then it says, be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived about who is a true believer. Because you can be deceived by that. Every once in a while you'll hear of somebody that gets saved and you go, wait a minute, I thought they were saved. Oh, they've been a member of the church for sometimes, every once in a while you hear about a preacher that gets saved. Be not deceived. You know, you can be deceived by choosing bad friends. Who do you run with? Who do you hang with? Think about it. The Bible says, now is the Bible true? Is it? Say amen if it is. Amen. Uh, are we to use the Word of God for all of our faith and practice? Amen? amen. Well, 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Did you write it down? Make a note of it. It says, be not deceived. Evil communications does what? Corrupt good manners. Who you hang with. Don't kid yourself. If you associate with bad company, they're going to corrupt your morals. A lot of times Christians will say, well, I'm just going to get in there and I'm going to bring this person around to Christ. You know what I see this uh, as I was studying for this last night again, and I was thinking about it. I have seen marriages where a young lady sees somebody and goes, oh, he is a gem in the rough. I'm going to marry him, and I'm going to change him. No. It flips right around. It'll flip right around. It'll corrupt your morals. Don't be deceived. Hey, don't be deceived about the church. Don't be deceived about the church. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to let you turn there. I'll take a drink of water. Paul is warning us this morning not to be deceived. Warning, warning. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, that's us, mark them which cause the visions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. That's a pretty strong statement there. It's talking about people within the body that is always stirring the, the membership up, and they're causing divisions, and they're teaching contrary. The Bible says avoid them. Avoid them. Now, it doesn't mean you can't pray for them, but it simply means that you're not to run with them and hang with them. Why? Because evil communications corrupt good manners. Before you know it, pretty soon you'll be, well, let me tell you what I think. Verse 18 says, For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Don't ever find yourself in that position, folks. Don't ever allow God's word in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, identify that is you. It says, but their own belly. And by good works and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. The simple. Who's the, who are the simple? The simple are simply those that have not grown in the Lord. They've not been walking in the Spirit and growing in Jesus Christ in maturity so that they can understand and know that they're being deceived. Don't be deceived by troublemakers in the church who tear up the unity. Those who sow discord, dissension, trouble. Don't be caught as one of these individuals. Don't allow Satan or your own pride and selfish heart cause you to be this way. This is God's church, by the way. He loved the church and gave himself for it. I'm to love my wife as God loved the church. Uh, heaven forbid, even at my advanced age, somebody that tries to come between or harm my wife. The fight is on. We're going to throw down. I mean, you know, I'm just talking in today's vernacular. And Alice knows I'm not a fighter, but I could swing a good bat. Don't be deceived by false teachers. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Don't be deceived by false teachers. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14 says that we henceforth be no more children. 
Grow up. Grow up. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. That reminds me where it says carry about with every wind of doctrine. It's like a dog out in the field. And this, I can relate this to my dog. If you came up to my area, if you came up to my house and just sat on the front porch, it would be probably 10 minutes and you might count 100 ground squirrels. They are all over the place. And my dogs have learned that only if they're close enough, then I'll get up off the porch and chase them. Why? Because they'll run themselves to death. <laughs> and we have people like this that, oh, that's good teaching. Oh, that's a good teaching. Not even considering if it's of God's teaching. We'll run off on a tangent. But it says, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Don't do that. Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Give you a second. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. We're talking about not being deceived. We're talking about deceivers and those who deceive. It says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. They're deceiving people and they're deceived while they're doing it. And guess what? It's going to get worse and worse. So we have to live in a very protective way because there's a potential not only for deceit in us, but the reality, there's deceit all around us. All around us. Paul said, be not deceived. Warning. Warning. Now we're talking about this and we're putting it all together with walk in the Spirit. Keep that in mind. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6. <clears throat> the Bible says, Let no man deceive you with vain words. I'll tell you what, sometimes people can come up to you and say something kind of flattering, but it's deceptive, and you feel, woohoo, you know? What happened? You've been deceived. You've been deceived. Don't be partakers with them. We have to know that we have a propensity, a natural tendency to be deceived. I mean, you could lead me by the nose and I'm going to be deceived very easily unless I'm using God's Word to guide me. That's why it's so important that you attend church. Attend a, not just a church but attend a church that's going to preach a biblical message. I cannot get up here and teach my own philosophy. Why? Because you'll be deceived. And I'll be deceived while I'm doing it. I have to teach and preach God's Word. Why? Because that will grow us. That will fashion us. That will protect us. Be not deceived. Be not deceived. That's the only way you're protected. Be not deceived. Paul's saying here in Galatians 6, don't be deceived that you can walk in the flesh and you can do it and I'll be okay. I'm all right. It's okay if I do a little of this or do a little of that. Stop for a second. Everybody look this way. What's your one sin? Don't answer. That's your go-to sin. Okay, enough of that. He's saying, don't be deceived. You can't walk in the flesh and not have it affect you and impact you. 
You don't want to be a legalist. But on the other hand, you're allowed to go the other way and say, well, look, we were saved. We weren't saved by the law, and we know that we can't be perfected in the flesh. Paul said in Galatians 3, 3, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? If we are born into God's family by the Spirit of God, then what makes us think that we can walk along in the flesh and that we will perfect ourselves to the place where we can serve God? No. Not going to happen. So it's not about works. It's about the power of the Spirit. There's where it lies. That's why our churches are powerless this morning because we got memberships, we got preachers that are walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. But when we're walking in the spirit together, there's no organism or organization in this world as powerful as God's church. My works didn't contribute to my salvation. By the way, my work can't undo my salvation. Praise God for that. He says, be not deceived. Then he says, God is not mocked. God is not mocked. You're going a little long this morning, Donnie. Yes, I know. We've got sandwiches in the back. We'll be just fine. If somebody starts to feel a little bit faint, raise your hand. I'll have Brother Dwayne run back there and grab you a sandwich. We'll be just fine, okay? This is important. This is important. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. That simply means that God is not fooled. He's not ignored. God's not outwitted. I got that one over on them. You know, guess what? You never get it over on God. He always knows. You cannot violate his holy law and think that you're going to get away with it. Right. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Jude. Jude. Book of Jude. Go there. Book of Jude. I'll say 17. That's not chapter. That's verse Jude 17 tells us. It says, But beloved, remember the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How, this apostle doctrine stuff, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. I heard a preacher say, not only are we in the last times, but we're in the last times of the last times. We're in the last times of the last times. I think it's very appropriate. And the world's full of people mocking God and shaking their fists in God's and those that say I'm an atheist, an atheist, I don't believe in God and there is no God and, and those that laugh at those that say God created the heavens and the earth and they believe in evolution and, and I look at that and I think your faith is greater than mine. My goodness, this culture truly mocks God and mocks Him relentlessly. So be not deceived. Why? Because you're not going to be able to mock Him. And now we're presented here with His law. And His law is simply this. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That doesn't change. That's unchangeable. That's fixed. You do it. And you're going to reap. If you're going to walk in the flesh, you're going to reap the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, you're going to reap the things of the Spirit. You choose. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. You have a choice as a believer. 
You have people like Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 of the book of Daniel. What did he do? He mocked God. Found, him out, found himself out grazing. You don't mock God and get away with it. He said, I don't think so. I don't think so. In the next chapter, the next chapter, you had Belshazzar and Daniel 5 who mocked God and, and they had devastation to his entire kingdom. God's not going to be mocked. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Go ahead and turn there. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. Are you making notes? These are good scriptures to put down. We're talking about being deceived. We're talking about being deceived. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, very, very strong chapter in the book of Romans in the Bible. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They turn from the Creator to the creation. And Roman 1 describes a mockery of God. What happened? The wrath of God was released on men. It was released. The wrath of God. Oh, oh, the wrath of God. Praise God that you know Him as your Savior this morning. I pray that you do. The wrath of, in Romans is the wrath of turning them over to their sin. What was that? Immorality, homosexuality, and a reprobate mind. Just trying to preach Bible this morning. I like to preach it the way it says. Not always popular, but always preach it. Always preach it. The wrath of God has numerous forms. We'll just talk about four this morning briefly. Talk about four this morning. You've got the final form, which is the eternal wrath, which is what? Hell. That's the eternal wrath. That was made uh, where the unbelievers and the suffer, uh, will suffer punishment forever. That's his, that is his eternal wrath. The Bible also talks about, and I've got to slow down my mouth and get it going here. It talks about an eschatological wrath. That's the wrath at the end of the human history. Human history is described by the prophets, by our Lord, and that's what's coming. So you got those two. There's also what we call a cataclysmic wrath. A cataclysmic wrath. That's when you see those natural disasters. You're seeing the tsunamis come up. A few years ago we had that tsunami and it killed so many people. Or you have a volcano that goes off and so many people are killed. Catastrophic, cataclysmic. And then there's another kind of wrath, and that's a cyclical wrath. A cyclical wrath. And it's always in place. And what is that talking about? That's your sowing and your reaping. That's your sowing and your reaping. Hey, well, I sowed and I planted some corn. I planted some corn. I'm hoping to get wheat. That's kind of silly. That's kind of silly. Yeah. Whatever you sow, whenever you sow it, if you sow physically in this world, you set in motion the wrath of God. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. Is God's word true? Say amen. Okay. The law is laid out throughout Scripture. Job chapter 4. Job chapter 4. Make a note. If you can catch up with me, you can. 
because I got four verses here, about five verses. Job chapter 4, verse 8 says, Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. I'm using Scripture this morning just to prove what we're talking about. Uh, Proverbs 131 says, Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. A little bit later in Proverbs chapter 11, in verse 18, it says, The wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7, For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. Oh, Brother Myers. They shall reap the whirlwind. Oh, you can't live that way and expect not to face a whirlwind. In Hosea, again, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, it says, Sow to yourself in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your foul ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Ye plowed wickedness. Ye have plowed wickedness. Ye have reaped iniquity. Ye have eaten the fruit of lies because thou didn't trust in the way in the multitude of thy mighty men. It's an agricultural scene. Sowing, breaking up the ground, you got rain, and the result is righteousness. On the other hand, the prophet's saying, if you plowed wickedness, you're going to reap iniquity. Farmer plants the crop that he wants to harvest. Plants the crop he wants to harvest. We had, I don't know if they went out of business or what the deal was, but in Porterville, there every year on the corner of Olive Avenue and Newcomb Avenue, in late May through June, we had a farmer that grew corn. It's some of the best corn I've ever tasted. Very sweet, the white corn or the yellow corn, whatever. I was waiting for him to open up this year, and he's not a farmer anymore. Not, so I don't have any corn. But a farmer's going to plant what he wants to harvest. Do you know that a man's character and his condition is simply the harvest of his habits? Let me read that again. A good statement. A man's character and condition is the harvest of his habits. I can tell you who you are. And I think I submit that those that are spiritually minded and are walking with God a lot of times can look at someone and go, I know where they're walking. I can tell where they're walking. What happened? You deceived yourself. Think about a child foolishly indulged and encouraged to think on their own whims and their own wishes in their own way. That's not the way we brought up our children. What do you think? I didn't really ask my children their opinion until maybe they got to be a late teen and I'm trying to grow them into a proper decision making. We don't do that. What happens? You have a child that grows up and they're unruly. Some people might go, oh, they're so cute. You know why they said that? Because they don't have to take them home. <laughs> they're so cute. My goodness. And you've got this obstinate, this stubborn, this self-centered child. And one day they're going to grow into an undisciplined adult who's going to reap the whirlwind. 
That's why God recorded Proverbs 22.6 where he said, Train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Numbers chapter 32.23 says, And be sure your sin will find you out. That's sowing and reaping. Psalms 90 verse 8, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. You're not going to mock God. You can't get anything past God. He knows. You didn't fool him. Isaiah chapter 3 verse 11 says, Woe to the wicked! It shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. Isaiah chapter 59, 12, And our sins testify against us. You walk in the flesh, it will be evident. Conversely, you walk in the Spirit, it will be evident as well. Romans 2, 9, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. You do evil, you're going to get tribulation, you're going to get anguish, you're going to get distress. I got problems. Why am I always have problems? Where are you walking? How are you walking? How are you walking? You know, you go, wait a minute, what about forgiveness? Am I not forgiven? Yes, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. How many like football? How many like football? I like football. I like football. How many Sundays before it starts, Rick? A handful. A handful. You know why he said a handful? He's getting ready for this pastoring thing. It's consuming him, you know. But pretty soon football season's going to start. And, you know, uh, one of the most exciting things in watching a football game is the interception. You have a team that's driving down, maybe coming down to the close of the game, scores very close, a pass is thrown, and a guy maybe makes a miraculous catch. And what happens? That interception makes a change in direction. Guess what? That's what God has done for this. I'm going to read this. God at the point of salvation intercepts that fully operating law and gives us new life. I think that's just great. And gives us new life. So that now you have the capacity since being freed from that law to do what honors God. And what is that that's walking in the spirit? Not in the flesh. Not in the flesh. And how do you do it? You walk in the spirit by the miracle of that redemption. Not in my own power. In his power. In his power. Laws explained in verse 8. I'm trying to hurry here. It says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You sow to his flesh, you're going to get corruption. You're going to get corruption. You choose to gratify the cravings of your fallen flesh, guess what? You're going to get corruption. Flesh is always a starting point for sin. James 1.14 says this, But every man that is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, ooh, that looks good, being led astray, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. When you start with lust, it gives birth to sin, and then it brings on death. And this is the harvest of flesh. Harvest of flesh. 
That's death, it's decay, disintegration, ultimate corruption, death. Listen to this. A theologian wrote this. He said, every time, talking about the child of God, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain a impure fancy, or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Anytime you do this. He says, every time we linger in bad company, whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk that strains our self-control, I can do this, I can do this. You're deceived. We are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. Some Christians, some children of God, flow, sow to the flesh seemingly every day and then wonder why they don't reap a harvest of holiness or usefulness. Let's break it down. Holiness is the harvest. Holiness is a harvest of sowing to the spirit, not the flesh. So you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. And conversely, if you sow to the spirit, you reap blessing. So Brother Don, you're going along. I'm getting there. Almost done. Almost done. Sow to the spirit that you'll produce everlasting life. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit relieve. Uh, reap life everlasting. It's not talking about heaven. It's talking, that's secured already. It's talking about in this life. In this life, what are you going to reap? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's what you're going to reap. That's what you're going to reap. The next law has been stated, uh, next, the, the divine law has been stated and explained, but in verse 9 it says, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, at some point the Galatians may be thinking, when am I going to get these, when are these things going to happen? When are they going to kick in? He said, don't worry about that. Just keep going. A good friend of mine passed away last Sunday. He had a saying that I, I love and I use to this day. I went into him one day. I was working, and I said, Gene, there is a lot of work going on here. He said, I know, Don. He said, don't worry about the mule going blind. Just keep loading the wagon. As a child of God, I think that's kind of the mindset we need to have. I'm going, oh, whoa, when am I getting to break? When are these things going to happen? You're going to reap if you faint not. Don't worry about the mule going blind. Just keep loading the wagon. Let's not be weary in well-doing. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. We've gone through it. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is attitude, love, joy, peace. Is that your attitude this morning? Or is your attitude hatred? These are attitudes. And these attitudes result in good actions. We need to be like Christ in Hebrews chapter 12. Even though it was a hard road, he never grew weary and he kept going. 
He saw the prize that was set before him. We'll reap in due season. When's that season? It's God's season. In God's season. John, to John 8 says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but, we, but that we receive a full reward. That's talking about heaven. Keep moving. Keep moving. In verse 10, it says, in verse 10, As we therefore have opportunity... I think sometimes we stop there and we think of the word opportunity as a specific moment in time. I had the opportunity. I could have. And we're thinking back to a specific time. But that's not what he's talking about. We use it in a speech. The Greek here talks about referring to a moment in time or an event. It's talking about a period, an era, or even an age. So instead of thinking like an o'clock, Thinking of a period of time. When does that due season run from? How about the point of salvation until he calls you home? That's the due season. Point of salvation until he calls you home. First Peter 2.15, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Matthew chapter 5.16 tells us, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The New Testament is full of calls. For the child of God to do good. To do good. Why? To silence the critics. And to show forth the transma transformation that Christ has done in our lives. Titus 2.7 In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed. Having no evil thing to say to you. Verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That's who we're supposed to be. In chapter 3 verse 8 it says, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which believe in God might be careful to maintain good works. What kind of works are you displaying and doing? These things are good and profitable unto men. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. This is who the child of God is supposed to be. Be not deceived, folks. Be not deceived. You've got deception in you, and you've got deception all around you. Why? Uh, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that's his law. That shall he also reap. Ephesians 2.19 tells us, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You're part of his family. You're part of his family. And we need to show good to the family. My dad used to say, when you leave, you represent the Thomasons. Make sure you're doing good things. There's a law operating in the world. Can't get around it. You can't get around it. You can't avoid it. Our whole universe is built on laws, physical and moral. And God's moral law is summed up something like this. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Again, I say unto you, sow in the Spirit. Reap holiness this morning. Reap holiness. Holiness is the harvest of righteous sowing. Walk in the Spirit. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you so much.
I think this is the longest I've ever preached. But good news, we're going to have a fellowship this afternoon, and then you get to go home. So I guess what I did is I gave you maybe AM and PM together. But folks, this is good information. Good information. I pray that as we were talking about these things, that you are drinking in God's Word and allowing Him to speak to your heart. It's so crucial and so important that as children of God, we grab hold of the idea, I need to be walking in the Spirit and in His power. I need not walk in the flesh. And there's a lot of good reasons for that, but let me just say this. It's good for you. It's good for you. Perhaps you've come in here this morning, you do not know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. I just need to let you know. God sent His only Son to die on the cross of Calvary and paid the penalty of sin of all of mankind. It was a payment that could not be paid other than by God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, you can know your Jesus as your Savior today if you're here and lost. I'm going to pray that I'm going to have a stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I ask that you'd have your will and way. In Jesus' name, amen.